You're tuned into Christian Questions. Join the conversation now on air or online at ChristianQuestions.com and download our app by searching for Christian Questions Radio. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Winston Churchill once said, it's always wise to look ahead, but difficult to look further than you can see. Good morning, I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at biblically related topics from a different perspective. And I'm Jonathan, and that different perspective has its basis in three things. Godly principles, family values, honest dialogue, always done in a politically free zone. Folks, thanks for joining us today. This is a call-in format. We are caller-friendly. So, Jonathan, let's get started. Good morning. Good morning, Rick. You're not in the studio. Where are you? Ah, guess where I am. I'm in Orlando, Florida. You're not. Ha! (laughs) Actually, I'm here in Orlando. (laughs) That's not nice. (laughs) Sure it is. (laughs) Ask Trish. Um, We're here uh, in Orlando at a Bible conference, uh, and actually I'm in a room full of other Bible students at this conference, uh, and we're here for the program this morning. Wonderful. So what do we have? What's our subject? All right, our question is, what will the world look like in the 22nd century? And our theme text is found in Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Okay, so, you know, Jonathan, there's something, there's something about looking into the future that's really, really fascinating to humanity. You know, we always wonder, well, what are things going to be like 100 years from now? Will, will cancer be cured? Will the world powers that we have today be the world powers of tomorrow? Will our reality be experienced virtually? Will we get along? Or will the world be a scene of utter destruction caused by man-made global warming? Or will it be destroyed by nuclear winter? Or will it be destroyed by disease? Will an asteroid end life on Earth as we know it? Or will the wrath of God burn the planet and all on it to a crisp? Well, we believe that biblical prophecy tells us a lot about the future, and we believe that it tells us with a startling measure of detail. So folks, stay with us this morning as we walk down a path of prophecy and look back so we can see the future. So Jonathan, this is really going to be a uh, a look into the future entirely 100% based on biblical prophecy. Oh, this is exciting. It is. It's really exciting. And it can be complicated because biblical, biblical prophecy is not written just in plain language. So let's get started with this whole thing by something I just said. This whole program is going to be based on biblical prophecy. Let's go to something non-biblical to begin with. Uh, because we wanted to have sort of a backdrop throughout the program of comparison of other views of what the world might look like in 100 years. So we went to um, a a, a YouTube uh, channel uh, named WatchMojo.com, and they have, on this channel, they have this little uh, uh, video called The Top Ten Ways the World Might End. So just to cheer everybody up this morning, (laughs) what we thought we would do is we break these top ten ways down into pieces and play them for you throughout the program to give you a sense of what many of us kind of feel like the world might be heading for. So let's get started with our first soundbite from the top ten ways the world might end. Number ten, geomagnetic reversal. There are no certainties in life, but you can always trust north and south. 
except the Earth's weakening magnetic field means we could be in the first phases of a geomagnetic reversal where the poles actually flip. Doomsayers theorize it'll cause shifting continents, solar storm vulnerability, accelerated climate change, and mass extinctions. Scientists say no way. It's happened before and the Earth survived. But they do admit it'd disrupt technology something fierce. Number nine, a gamma ray burst. Supernovas are some of the universe's strongest explosions and they discharge high-frequency electromagnetic radiation known as gamma ray bursts, which sound pretty deadly to us. But don't worry, for Earth to be impacted, the supernova would have to be pretty close and aimed just right. Better hope the sun doesn't explode, though. Then we're talking destroyed atmosphere, fires, and acid rain type stuff. So how are you feeling? Encouraged? Sounds scary. <laughs> <laughs> so geomagnetic reversal, uh, where the magnetic poles of the Earth uh, flip, and apparently that's happened before, or a gamma ray burst, which could just utterly destroy everything as we know it. And, and again, Jonathan, we're going back to these things as a backdrop because many people have all kinds of a sense of doom on the horizon, doom on the horizon, doom on the horizon. And when we look at things from a biblically uh, prophetic perspective, it may not be that way at all. Uh, as a matter of fact, well, first of all, folks, if you have a thought, if you'd like to weigh in on what you think the world will look like in 100 years, we are at 866-985-4255, toll-free, 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central, and that means we're on right now. And don't forget, you can message us on your free app from your smartphone so that we can read it over the air. Okay. All right. Now, Jonathan, before we get started with our explanation, uh, let me give a, a little bit of a disclosure here. Okay. Because uh, this is important. So, folks, listen carefully. Our, our, our approach today is based entirely on biblical prophecy and, as such, is most certainly subject to interpretation. And we're going to give you interpretation, believe me when I tell you. What we reveal today is a result of the serious and collective study of many, many students of prophecy over many, many years and reveals what we believe to be an accurate representation of God's plan for mankind and for the earth. So what I'm saying, Jonathan, to translate the disclosure is I'm not smart enough to come up with all the conclusions that we're coming up with today. Well, that's... Uh, oh, wait. Oh, I, <laughs> I, 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 I see. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. <laughs> but really, that's important because... Folks, what, what we're going to talk about, you, you need to realize, is, is, is a collective effort over a long, long, long generations of time of students of the scriptures looking at the Bible and trying to put it in order and really seeking to get what it's all about. So let's get started going down this road of prophecy with a scripture that most of us probably know and never look at as a prophecy. Okay, here's a really big hint as to the answer to the future of the world, of the earth, and of mankind. Let's go to Matthew 6, 9 to 10, and this is Jesus teaching us how to pray. Pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. All right, all right. stop right there. there. That's the Lord's Prayer. Most Christian children are taught the Lord's Prayer. Yes. This is an often repeated, repeated prayer. Now, in this model prayer, what's the first thing that Jesus tells us to pray for? His kingdom come. Okay, he says, 
after he praises and honors God, he says, now what you pray for, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Jesus is telling us, and we are teaching our children to pray for God's kingdom to be functioning here on earth the way it functions in heaven. Now, when you imagine heaven, do you imagine that there's all kinds of chaos and, and, and things going wrong all over the place? Not at all, Rick. Every, all right. Everything works in harmony. Right. So have we ever seen a time on earth when everything has worked in harmony according to God's will? No way. <laughs> so what Jesus is telling us to pray for is something that's never happened. So he's essentially saying, look forward to the future because... I want you to all, collectively as Christians, pray for this thing, and if Jesus... Now, here's the other thing, Jonathan. If Jesus taught every single Christian to pray for this, do you think it's not coming? Uh, it, it is coming if he said so. And that's the point. So, in the Lord's Prayer, in this simple, simple prayer, there is a massive hint that there's something wonderful to look forward to. So... How do you get there? How do you get to the fulfillment of this something wonderful? Getting to the fulfillment of that prayer, there's an order of events. And because this is such a massive subject, Jonathan, what we're going to do is we're going to breeze through some of the first events without doing a lot of explaining why, uh, just to set some context. And it's going to take us a little bit of time. But there's a list, Jonathan. There's a list of things that have to happen. What's the list? Spiritual desolation. Okay. Deep trouble. Deliverance, resurrection, judgment and reconciliation, and then finally, peace. So that's the process broken down into some very basic, almost oversimplified steps. So what does that all mean? Well, let's start with spiritual desolation. And that's probably not something that most of us think about so much, but we have to understand that this is part of the prophetic process. First, let's go through a prophecy that deals with matters of the Spirit, and that is setting up Jesus' return. Now, Jesus was explaining his return to his followers just weeks before his crucifixion. So if you look at Matthew chapter 24, and we've done programs that have spent two, two programs on, on the 24th chapter of Matthew, and we want to refer you to those to get more detail. We're just going to do a little bit of an overview of what we believe classifies as spiritual desolation. So let's look at Matthew 24 verses 14 to 22, but we're only going to take a couple of verses right here at this point. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. Okay, let's, let's stop right there, okay? Remember when Jesus ascended to heaven after, after he was raised from the dead and he walked the earth for 40 days and then he ascended to heaven? Yes. And remember he said to his disciples at that point, go and preach the gospel to, to all, to all nations. nations, yes, right. everyone. So now Jesus is, is on his way up to heaven there. He, he said that, and he's referring back to what he had told them previously, that you're gonna, that's going to have to happen. So the gospel has got to uh, be preached to all nations. So this gives us a sense that there's a long time here. There's yes. a long period of time. All right, verse 15. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place. All right, and, and then there's a parenthesis that says, let the reader understand. So now this is talking about something else. When you see the abomination of desolation, 
Okay, let's talk about that a little bit, and we don't have time to get into it in great detail, but let, let's try and, and figure out, let's define that abomination of desolation. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. 2 Thessalonians 2. Oh, right, right, three. Thessalonians, right, okay. I said that. Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. So the reason we label the first step of getting to the the future, a hundred years from now, as spiritual desolation, is you have to have an understanding of what happens beforehand, of the time of the end, because Jesus said in this prophecy, then the end will come. And he said, when the end comes, he says, then you see this, the, the, the manifestation of this abomination of desolation, and it's described in Second Thessalonians as sitting in the temple of God, calling himself God, putting himself in the place of God. Now, we don't believe that this, this abomination is a person, but rather a system. And we look at history, and it's pretty easy to determine in the world of Christianity, and this is why we call this segment spiritual desolation. In the world of Christianity, there has been one system that has set themselves up above every other system of Christianity and proclaimed to be the voice of God on earth, and that's the papal system. That's and, right. And if you look at history, you can see how that system was a dominant force, and folks, sorry if you're Catholic, but the history tells us it's been a dominant force, not for good, but in most cases for evil. Set Self-exalted, sits in the temple of God, and, and the temple of God is, is, is where God is supposed to dwell. And, and, you know, in the scriptures, Jonathan, it said that we are the temple of God. We are the temple of God's spirit. So it was overriding what the true church was supposed to be. And what that created within Christianity was actually desolation. It wasn't something good. No, it, it, like, it's like a counterfeit. Yes, exactly. So when you, Jesus is speaking in Matthew 24, when you, spiritual Israelites, the true church, see this corrupting of spiritual Israel during the papal reign, then, and now verse 16 of Matthew 24, then those who are in Judah must flee to the mountains. Okay, now, what does that mean? It, 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 it's highly picture language. We're just going to give you an interpretation because we're not going to have time to explain all this. Judea is a picture of Christendom, not the literal countryside, and those there uh, are to flee to the pure source of truth. So they're supposed to run away from the spiritual desolation that has taken them. This is past history. This is what's been happening to get us to the next hundred years. So as we go into this break, Jonathan, it's important to realize there's a lot of detail to set the table for figuring out what comes next. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, what will the world look like in the 22nd century? Coming up, so big trouble has come in the spiritual world. What about the physical world? Are we there yet? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Our subject for today is, What will the world look like in the 22nd century? 
We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central. That means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. Or you can message us on your app. And don't forget to sign up for CQ Rewind, the full edition, at our website, ChristianQuestions.com. So, Jonathan, the, the big question is what will the world look like essentially 100 years from now? But to figure out what it's going to look like 100 years from now, we actually have to go back uh, quite a bit of time because we want to put ourselves in, in, in a place where we can understand what the time of the end is. And I know, folks, look, we're not giving you a lot of reasons why we believe what it is. Matter of fact, we're going to be doing a program, uh, I think it's on April 10th, and we're going to be getting into a lot more of the establishment of the time of the end uh, at that time, and we're going to go a lot slower on this portion of, of our discussion. So sort of put that in your books as, a, as another prophetic look uh, with more reason behind the conclusions, at least at the beginning here. So we're going back, Jonathan, to the 19th and the 20th centuries, essentially to figure out what the 21st century looks like and the 22nd century. So, so we've got a, a period of time, the 1800s, the 1900s, and the 2000s. So Jesus, in his prophecy of his return, lays out details that take a long time to unfold. And the basis for the long time to unfold is the revealing of this abomination of desolation, which we just talked about, and then the drawing out of true Christianity from under the heavy hand of a system that took over in a way that it had no right to. And, and again, I don't want to get into too much detail on that, but I just want to say that when Jesus set up Christianity, it looked nothing like the systems of Christianity today, nothing like it at all. So let's go back to Matthew 24 and look at Jesus laying out the details that cover a very long time. Let's go through verses 17 through 21, and, and Jonathan, you know the, the drill. I'm going to interrupt you about every three seconds. <laughs> okay. Whoever is on the housetop must not go down to get the things out that are in the house. Okay, that's verse 17. So those truly who are most spiritual but not separated from, from the corruption. Uh, you know, that you, you, have to, you have to leave. You don't, you don't hang around and say, gee, you know, I kind of like it here. You have to decide to walk away. Remember, P- Peter prayed on the housetop when he was given the vision to convert Cornelius? Yes, sure. And it was a matter of wasting no time. You know, when, when Peter prayed and then was given the mission, he didn't hang around and say, well, let me think about it. No, he, he didn't. Left. And that yeah. reminded me, Rick, of Revelation 18.4, come out of her, my people, and not partake of her sins and receive of her plagues. Right. So Christianity is not defined by the systems of Christianity. What Jesus is telling us is Christianity is defined by the individual faithfulness of those who hold true to scriptural truth. Okay, verse 18 of Matthew 24. Whoever is in the field must not turn back to get his cloak. All right, uh, one coming from the world. He he uses the the illustration of the field. Remember the the parable of the sower? Yes. Okay, and remember it says the world, the field is the world. So one coming from the world, if you see the corruption of systems, that's not where you're supposed to go. You don't go back to those kinds of things. You, You go away from those kinds of things. Verse 19. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babes in those days. So Jesus is talking about all of the circumstances in which it is the personal responsibility 
of those who want to truly follow Christ, the, the difficulties they're going to have in making a decision to walk away from what might be comfortable so they can walk towards what is true. And these are hard decisions, and Jesus brings that up in verse 19. You know, woe to those who are pregnant, to those who are nursing babies, those who have, who, who bring new babes in Christ and, that, that are very, very young in their Christianity to have to uproot them from something, again, that might be really, really comfortable. So, again, Jonathan, this is looking back, looking back in, in, in time into the last, 150 years or so, and saying, these are the things that have been happening in this, in this space of spiritual desolation. God is not happy. <laughs> we don't believe that God is happy with this state of Christianity and, is, and is, is essentially challenging us to step out of things that keep us from the pure truth of Scripture. Verse 20. Pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. So now he's saying, you know, woe to those who, woe to those who, and it's difficult for those who. And now the focus changes a little bit and says, pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. Again, you. Make sure that, you know, if it's, if it's, um, it's back to the personal direction of those who are separated and striving. Now, this personal approach sets the scene for the verses to come. The Sabbath being the end of the week, the end of the spiritually corrupted experience. So the good news is that that spiritual corruption that we were talking about, that spiritual desolation, doesn't last forever. But when he says that, but at the end of it, you hope that you're not going to be one of them who's going to be having to, to, to deal with circumstances then, because now a whole new set of troubles happen. Now, I hope, folks, I hope you're getting all excited about this, because everything we've talked about is negative, sorry, and difficult. Yes. <laughs> Thanks, Rick. <laughs> yeah, well, hey, you know, I'm always, always willing to help. Um, so, folks, if you have a thought, you have a question, it's 866-985-4255, toll-free, 866-985-4ALL. We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central, and that means we're on right now. Out from the dark ages and into the light of today, join us 24-7 at ChristianQuestions.com. All right, let's, let's go to verse 21. Again, we're still in Matthew 24. These are Jesus' own words. He's speaking in very, very, very prophetic uh, um, picture, speaking in picture language to teach us of the things that we have to be dealing with that have been happening and that are happening. For then there will be a great tribulation, such as not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will, unless those days should be cut short, no life would have been saved. But, for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. So, we follow this long trail of experiences that Jesus was dealing with in Matthew 24, and they bring us to this great time of trouble. Now, how does this unfold? Who does it affect? And he's saying, this is going to be a time of trouble that's going to be unique, because it will be different, it will be bigger, it will be more severe and more serious than anything we've ever seen. So that kind of reminds me, Jonathan, let's, let's take a, a break from Scripture for a moment, kind of reminds me of all kinds of ways the world can end. And we've touched on two ways that the world can end uh, that were listed in from this uh, watchmojo.com uh, uh, program on ten, the top ten ways the world runs. Let's go to two more ways that the world can possibly end, just for fun. Number eight, a black hole. This is going out not with a bang, but a whimper. 
Floating around the Milky Way are thousands of black holes, and any one could swallow everything in its path without warning. Then there are the theories about man-made black holes, courtesy of the Large Hadron Collider. What might being sucked through a black hole be like? Think eternal winter in outer space, or just plain nothingness. Number seven, a biotech disaster. Biotechnology is a nice way of saying messing with genetics. We are now seeing the beginnings of another stage of human evolution. Yes, it can potentially end world hunger and eradicate disease, but the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Biotechnology also lets us customize our kids, clone people, and basically screw evolution. Dolly is the name of the first mammal, yes, a sheep, ever to be born as the result of cloning. Ethical issues aside, imagine a race of superhumans so advanced they eliminate us. Or X-Men and zombie mutations. Or what if we bring dinosaurs back? Say again. <laughs> we have a T-Rex. Okay, so we've got X-Men and zombies and black holes and biotech disasters. And Ju- like Jurassic fun. Park also. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. But, you know, but here's the thing, Jonathan. These things are, are things that people worry about. Like, okay, well, a black hole could suck the Earth right into it and we wouldn't even know what happened and then you're a bunch of nothingness. This biotech disaster, we could create monsters with our messing around with, with, with biology. So there's all of these things that people worry about and, and say, well, look, in the next hundred years, this could happen. This could really happen. And, and in some ways, they might be right. Now, look, the zombie apocalypse thing, they can't be right on. Okay? <laughs> let's, that's crazy. The idea that in, in, in Jesus' own words, when he said, Unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. It gives us indication that, that, that there is a, a pattern established that is absolutely positively deadly. And that brings us to the next phase. We went through the spiritual desolation phase. After that comes deep trouble. Now, do I think that we're in the, the big time of trouble yet? No. Do I think that we're getting close to it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 1 through 5. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. All right, all right. Stop, stop there for a second, because this is interesting. Folks, folks if, you, if you read that scripture carefully, what the Apostle Paul is, is writing to the Thessalonians is, look, I don't even need to remind you of this. You already know the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. The Christian world at that time was well educated about a proper view of prophetic events. Of Jesus' second return. Right. And he was saying, I know you know that it comes and nobody's going to figure it out until after it's there. I know you know that. And, and again, in, in much of Christianity, the, the, the return of Jesus is going to be, you know, the earthquakes, and you see Jesus in the sky, and there's no, there's no thief in the night kind of thing going on there. There's trumpets. Right, yeah, trumpets and loud noises and thunder and lightning and all of that. So he's saying, so this is a truth that was in place and got lost over time. Let's go to verses 3 to 5. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. So, apparent safety, labor pains, sudden destruction, no escape. Again, we are making you guys all excited about the future. (laughs) Step right up, line up, because this is part of getting to that 100 years from now. You have to go through 
the misery of this deep trouble to be able to get to any kind of a deliverance. And I, I think of labor pains as events that get bigger and bigger and bigger and harder uh, until the birth. And I was thinking also about World War I and World War II. We've never had anything like that in, in history, Rick, where everyone is affected by a war. Yeah, and, and we're not in that kind of a place right now. You know, the interesting thing is, I'm glad you brought that up, because the interesting thing is that when you look at it, most of us live in relative comfort. So, so while we say, wow, the world's a mess, the world's a mess, but it is a really comfortable mess. The great tribulation, this tribulation that's being spoken of in Scripture, takes a lot of that comfort away. So we're not there yet. We're really not there yet. But it's going to happen. Now, we don't want to dwell on that. Now let's start to jump past the spiritual desolation and the deep trouble. And now let's get to the deliverance part of the picture. And we're really going to spend the rest of the program building on deliverance and resurrection and all of those things. Deliverance is aptly described for us in the uh, book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 to 4. And again, we're not going to explain a lot. We're just going to lay it on the table. April 10th, we're going to go through a lot of these Daniel scriptures in a lot more detail. At that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. So favor to Israel is going to be really put in place and understood to be put in place. And Jonathan, the interesting thing is a lot of these, these, uh, these phases that we're talking about, it's not like the spiritual, spiritual desolation started and then stopped, and then the great trouble starts and then stops, and the deliverance starts and then stops. They overlap. So you have some things starting before the last thing stopped. And this is one of those things that has already started because we've seen Israel be brought back to her homeland after being scattered for generations and generations. So there's an overlapping of all of these things, and that's what makes prophecy sometimes so difficult to understand. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. So it talks about the deliverance and then the time of trouble. And we've seen Israel already the beginning of the deliverance in place. So you can see that the table is now set for what Daniel just talked about in that verse. Go ahead. And that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. So there's deliverance in this time for God's elect, the spiritual resurrection, at this time of great trouble. Go ahead. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. So now it's going to the next phase, and it's saying this time will lead to the earthly resurrection, which we're going to talk about uh, much more in the next segment. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. So it, this is building on the resurrection. So Daniel is really giving us kind of a timeline in, in some ways here, and he's saying this leads to a new way of governance, this, the, the, the wise shining bright. That means that they're seen and their effects are being uh, felt by, by those on earth. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Again, we go to the time of the end. So he says, shut up the book, seal it until the time of the end. And remember, the time of the end started long before where we are sitting right here today. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. So the time of the end brings with it another sign 
and that is running to and fro and knowledge being increased. And boy, if you look at the world in which we live right now, uh, as we go into this break, if you look into the world in which we live, that sign is very, very obvious. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject is, what will the world look like in the 22nd century? Coming up, now for Judgment Day, who is there? What does it look like? Who is in charge? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Our subject for today is, What Will the World Look Like in the 22nd Century? We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central. That means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. Or don't forget, you can message us on your app. And don't forget to um, join us on our Facebook page and tweet us at CQ Net Radio. Yeah, and, and folks, if you do uh, want to message us on, uh, from your Christian Questions app or send us an email at rick at christianquestions.com, I can certainly try and bring those into the program. Uh, I've got, we've got the, uh, the link right here. So, so, Jonathan, we're talking about the development of time and what the world is going to be looking like, and we've really spent two segments talking about the past and the present. Yes. So now we have to begin to get ourselves to thinking about the future and what does the future look like. So... Just to set the context, to set, the, set the mood, I should say, for looking at the future, let's go back to WatchMojo.com and listen to two more ways that they think the world might be destroyed within the next hundred years. Number six, climate change or global warming, man-made or natural, doesn't matter. There's no denying its repercussions on the planet. Rising temperatures, droughts, extreme weather, diminishing air quality, and dwindling natural resources are just the tip of the melting iceberg. It could even cause the next ice age. What can we do about this? Head as far south as possible. Some say climate change is the most urgent threat facing humanity, and we're running out of time to stop it. Number five. Supervolcano. This is not good. This is not good. A supervolcano is just what it sounds like. Bigger, stronger, and much more devastating than a regular volcano because when one goes, all supervolcanoes worldwide go. It's not like they're everywhere. Oh, wait, does Yellowstone sound familiar? Lava flows and sulfuric acid would be bad, but the debris emitted by an eruption could block the sun and cause a big freeze. But it's rare, so there's that. Don't look back. <laughs> so they, they play these little movie clips uh, in between. There's a few of those in, in that in that uh, in that clip. But you know, climate change or a super volcano. Again, we worry about the world coming to an end, and a lot of people have great fear that the world is going to come to an end. Well, let, let's back up before we get back into our subject matter. If Jesus said. Pray for God's kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth the way it's done in heaven, then I don't think we have to worry about that so much. No, we don't. He's, so, got, he's got this. He does. He does, and what we need to do is see how the prophecies actually back that up rather than refute it, because a lot of Christians look at prophecy and say, well, the world's going to be burned up. Uh, but that's not the case. That's simply not the case. Now let's get to the next step. 
after deliverance where we see Israel, and we've seen the beginnings of Israel's deliverance. Now we get to the next step, which is resurrection. And, Jonathan, this is going to be a step where it's unmistakable as to what is happening, because this comes after the great trouble uh, uh, come, comes to earth and God says, okay, enough is enough. So, first of, all, first of all, it will be a time of firm governing, and Jesus will be in control. John five twenty six to 29. For just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave to the Son also to have life in himself. And he gave him authority to execute judgment, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice, and will come forth those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life, and those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. So the word judgment comes up in in that scripture twice. And the word for judgment really means a time of trial. We're going to get into that in more detail later, but it doesn't mean a final uh, proclamation of judgment. There's a big, big difference between those two things. The interesting thing here is Jesus is speaking with great authority. He says that you know the, the Father has given the Son life within himself. He's given him authority to execute judgment. Now, is Jesus just saying this because he just knows it? Or is he saying this because prophecies have brought him to the point of understanding it. And I think the second is, is the case. Absolutely. He's speaking of his authority based on an Old Testament prophecy, or there's several Old Testament prophecies. We're going to focus on one here. So resurrection, Jonathan, is going to be tied very closely into judgment and reconciliation. So Reconciliation? So, what's that? Well, you know, when you reconcile two things that are out of harmony, you make them work together again. Okay, okay? all right. When, 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 a, when a bookkeeper reconciles the numbers, they, the numbers balance on both sides. You know, my mom is a bookkeeper. She talks to me about reconciling all the time. <laughs> and, and, and so judgment, here's the thing. When you think about judgment, folks, think about judgment and, 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 don't, and don't think of it without thinking of reconciliation. You've got to have the two together. So, so Jonathan, let's go through this Isaiah 11, 1 to 5 scripture, and then we'll go uh, to the phone. Then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and strength, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. So, right there... The Isaiah 11 verses, you can tell that they're talking about Jesus. Absolutely. And Jesus, in, in John chapter 5, is, is beginning to parrot what the Isaiah 11 verses said, because they apply to him. And now let's go further and see what else the Isaiah 11 verses say, and it gives you a sense of where Jesus got the understanding of how God's plan is going to unfold. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord, and he will not judge by what his eyes see, nor make a decision by what his ears hear, but the righteousness he will judge, with righteousness he will judge the poor, and decide with fairness for the afflicted on the earth. And he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. All righteousness will be the belt about his loins, and faithfulness the belt about his waist." 
so this broad picture in Isaiah 11 shows us that there will be mercy, justice, clarity, God's spirit of wisdom through Jesus. On the earth. On the earth, gumming, and, and, and so G- uh, Jesus in John chapter 5, when he talks about the resurrection to life and the resurrection to judgment, is working based on Old Testament prophecy. He's not saying things just for the sake of saying them. He's saying them because God had revealed them previously, and he's putting them in perspective and saying, this is how it's really going to work. Well, Rick, let's go to the phones. We have Julius from Connecticut. Good morning, Julius, and welcome to Christian Questions. Gentlemen, good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Boy, that uh, chapter 11 of Isaiah, that's a tough act to follow, Rick. Well, that's a beauty. have at it, pal. Beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for uh, changing the, uh, the scenario from the political circus to uh, the current political circus, to something more refreshing. And, uh, you know, uh, very generally speaking, uh, what God is going to do, the tangible, very tangible proof, my, my friends, there is a rainbow in the sky. I think that's a very uh, uh, tangible proof. But anyway, three things uh, uh, quickly I'll share with you. Number one, a quote. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. Do not put a period where God puts a comma because God is still speaking. Number two, what is God saying? Psalms 46, verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. And in, within that same context, it talks about he maketh wars to cease. Now, does he mean business? Uh, is it true what he's saying? All right, Isaiah fifty-five eleven. So also will be the word that I speak. He will not fail to do what I plan for it. He will do everything I send it to do. God bless. Thank, Thank you, you, Julius. Appreciate your call. Bye. You know, and, and Julius brought out several things that are that are important. First of all, the rainbow. There was a promise. Uh, of God to preserve the earth. He said he would never destroy the, the w- world with water again, and people can say, ah, but he didn't say not fire. <laughs> but, but what you see is the scriptures verifying the longevity of the earth. That's what you see. Um, and you know, when, Jesus, when, when Julius mentioned don't put a comma, you know, or don't put a period where God has a comma because he's not done speaking, too often not only do we put the period there, but we interrupt them. And we don't allow God's word to finish its thought because we take a piece of the thought and we grab it and we run with it. And unfortunately, we miss what his intention was by taking only a piece of the thought. All right. Context, context. We get it, Rick. We get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that you just got to realize how important it is to put things and, and be slow in our, in, our, in our understanding of how these all work. So, Julius, thanks for the call. Folks, if you have a thought... Uh, it's eight six six nine eight five four two five five. Let, let's talk about the day of judgment, Jonathan. Why the day of judgment? And remember, judgment—the other word for judgment that has to go with judgment—is what? Jonathan, I'm not sure. A reconciliation. Oh, back to reconciliation. Okay, gotcha. Don't ever think of the day of judgment without thinking of reconciliation. So, why the day of judgment? Is to follow up the sentence of death upon all men. Hebrews 9, 26 to, uh, 27 and 28. And inasmuch as it is appointed for all men to die once, and after this comes judgment, 
So Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await him. See, Jesus bore the sins. That's the reconciliation part of judgment. Why the day of judgment is to give an accounting for idle words. Matthew twelve thirty-five to 37. The good man brings out his good treasure, what is good, and an evil man brings out his evil treasure, what is evil. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they will give an accounting for the day of judgment. For by his words you will be justified, and by his words you will be condemned. So again, judgment is in place, and it, 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 it's coming down to by their words. Words mean something, and the day of judgment is going to bring those words to accountability. Let's go to back to Isaiah 11. More description, because, you know, judgment sounds harsh, but remember, it's part of reconciliation. Isaiah 11 actually tells us exactly that. We started with Isaiah 11 just a few minutes ago. Now let's go Isaiah 11, 6 to 9. And the wolf will dwell with a lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little boy will lead them. Also the cow and the bear will graze. Their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The nursing child will play by the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child will put his hand on the viper's den. They will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth will be covered with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So this is why you have to see judgments in the light of reconciliation, because the beginning part of Isaiah chapter 11 was about judgment, and now you get down a few verses and you're seeing reconciliation. You're seeing the knowledge of God covering the earth. It's not a bad thing. Judgment is a good thing because it's for the purpose of bringing two things that didn't work together back together. Another part of judgment is another part of judgment is the uh, the judgment of angels. Day of judgment is going to actually have the judgment of angels, the fallen angels in, 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 as part of the, the context of that day as well. So there's a lot that goes on in this day of judgment, but what we have to realize is that judgment is always for the purpose of reconciling. And now in the second hour, what we're going to talk about is what is the world going to look like when this all happens. For Jonathan and Rick and Christian Questions, we'll be back after the news and all of that. But till then, the world is not coming to an end. As an order, yeah, the world no, we'll be back in the second hour to talk more about it, but till then, think about it. By searching for Christian Questions Radio. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Can you hear me now? Okay, you can hear me now. I'm going to start again then, because now you can hear me. Jean de La Fontaine uh, once said, A person often meets his destiny on the road he took to avoid it. Good morning, folks. Welcome back. Uh, I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a very different perspective. And, Jonathan, what's the subject matter this morning? Well, Rick, our question is, What will the world look like in the 22nd century? 
And our theme text is found in Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. So we're talking about the world, we're talking about the future, and we're talking about a lot of Bible prophecy. And uh, Jonathan, uh, just to quickly review uh, a disclosure we made at the beginning of the program, uh, because this is entirely based on Bible prophecy, it's, it's very much subject to interpretation. We know that, we understand that. The interpretations that we're giving you are not the interpretations of Rick and Jonathan, but the interpretations of many, many, many students of the Bible over many, many, many years. And we have collected those uh, as, as, and, and, and are trying to put them together to give you a sense of what's coming, what the world will actually look like in the future. So having said that, let, let's just do a quick recap, Jonathan. What, what do we have so far? Well, we talked about uh, spiritual desolation, deep trouble, deliverance, resurrection, and we're talking about judgment and reconciliation, and then peace. Okay, so we have a process which began tracing in our day of sin and death, uh, beginning with a spiritual judgment on Christianity to separate, separate out those who are true from the systems which are false. We then saw some hope for Israel as the trouble increases to a level never seen before, and then we saw a change of authority from that of Satan, sin, and death to that of Jesus, resurrection, and life. Judgment comes and is in this context of a world that is transforming to righteousness. Judgment, the day of judgment, should never be viewed without adding a very important word. And what's that important word, Jonathan? Oh, the word we talked about before was um, reconciliation. That's the word. Judgment, the day of judgment, always has to be viewed in the context of reconciliation because that's what the judgment is for. So, as we get back into the program, let's go back to some more depressing stuff before we get to the good stuff. Let's go back to WatchMojo.com and hear about a couple more ways they think the world just might end in the next hundred years. It could end with dead silence. Asteroid. Could this really end all life on Earth? Ask the dinosaurs. Ben, turn on the TV. There's an asteroid coming right at us. A big enough asteroid impact would eclipse the devastation of a nuclear blast. And the chances of it happening aren't as slim as you'd think. Scientists have found asteroids that'll pass scary close to Earth in our lifetime, but claim they won't hit, unless something changes. However, it's the ones they haven't found yet that are scarier. What kind of damage are we... Damage? Total, sir. Number three, artificial intelligence and nanotechnology. Unless you're some survivalist nut job, computers and technology significantly impact your life. So what happens when computers surpass human intelligence, become self-aware, and decide to take over? Return to your home immediately. When you make the rules, robot. Hey, no, 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 robot, I'm talking, man. Stop it. We predict a Terminator slash Matrix mashup with lots of Apple products. Worst case scenario, gray goo. You know, where molecular nanotechnology goes haywire and robots self-replicate until they devour everything on Earth. So that's fun. <laughs> so that's fun. So, again, asteroids, artificial intelligence, there's lot. And here's the thing. There's lots of things to be afraid of. There's lots of things out there you say, well, this could happen. But what we're telling you is God's plan overrides and supersedes every one of these things, and they won't happen 
or they won't be allowed to happen to the point of complete and utter destruction. And there's a really simple reason why they won't, because God said so. That's what it comes down to. So let's get back now to the Day of Judgment, and along with judgment, what's the other word? Reconciliation, Rick. Right. You can't talk about the Day of Judgment without talking about reconciliation. Isaiah 25, verse 1. O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will give thanks to your name, for you have worked wonders, plans formed long ago with perfect faithfulness. Isn't that comforting after you hear about an asteroid maybe hitting the earth or everything turning to gray goo? I mean, come on. (laughs) Plans formed long ago with perfect faithfulness. That's what God's will is all about. God did not create the human race so it could go up in smoke or turn to gray goo or get sucked up by a black hole. He created it for the joy of a family, of an earthly family. So back to the day of judgment, the day of reconciliation. Another part of that, that reconciliation process, is to, pr- is to, is to punish, to prune the unjust and ungodly men. Second Peter 2, verses 5 through 10. And did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. Okay, so the, we, we touched on this. Julius brought it up in the first, uh, first uh, hour. You know, sin has consequence. Yes. That's one of the reasons that the flood happened early. That's one of the reasons that the Day of Judgment has to happen, because sin has consequence. And if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes, having made them an example to those who would live ungodly lives thereafter, and if he rescued righteous Lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled... Okay, again, sin has consequence. And, you know, some can say that, read that and say, aha, Sodom and Gomorrah were reduced to ashes as an example of what's to come. Well, remember that Jesus says in places that Sodom and Gomorrah will have a better time in the Day of Judgment than Tyre and Sidon. So he says that they're coming back. So they're, they're being reduced to ashes was a judgment then, but it is not the final judgment because reconciliation has to have its opportunity. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the unrighteous under punishment. Okay. To keep the unrighteous under punishment. What is punishment? What is that word, Jonathan? What does it actually mean? To lop or prune as trees and wings. So when you prune a tree, what do you do? You cut off the branches that are not necessary so the tree can grow the way it's supposed to grow and and produce the fruit it's supposed to produce. Exactly. That is part of the work of the Day of Judgment, is to prune back the unnecessary parts of humanity so that they can grow the way they're supposed to grow. And let's finish the verse. And to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the Day of Judgment, and especially those who indulge the flesh in its corrupt desires and despise authority. So what it's saying is sin has consequence. All sin will be dealt with. So those of us who say, okay, Rick and Jonathan are saying that the world, uh, you know, this world ends, but we all get a resurrection. That means I can do anything I want without any worries whatsoever. You entirely miss the point. Absolutely. Because the point is, anything we do, anything we say, is going to have to be reconciled. And if you want to go dig that hole so deep that you're going to have a heck of a time getting out of it, well, you know, 
that's your choice, but I, I would advise against such a thing because it's not going to get you anywhere. Second Peter 3, 7. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. You say, aha, reserved for fire. Told you the earth is going to be consumed with fire. No, reserved for fire. What does fire do? Fire can be a... a, It purifies. Right. It can be a purification process. It can be a destructive process. But the, the fire of the day of judgment, because you have all of these other scriptures is a fire of reconciliation. It's a fire of purification. That's what it's there for. It's to take away the things that don't belong and only leave those things which should be there. Um, while, while it's important, well, oh, I'm sorry, while this important in life-saving judgment is going on, all right, and, and it is an important work, and it's going to take a long time because you've got a whole uh, history of humanity that's got to go through it, and we can again see that it will be done within the context of God's government through Christ. And this is important, Jonathan, there's going to be a new governor in town. And it's not going to be any of the people, Julius alluded to the, to the fiasco of our coming elections and all of, the, all of the stuff going on around them. All of that is nonsense, utter nonsense compared to the government of Christ. Folks, before we get to the next scripture, if you have a thought, it's 866-985-4255, toll free. 866-985-4ALL. We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central. And that means we're on right now. Christian Questions, a voice of reason in a world that's lost its way. Keep in touch at ChristianQuestions.com. All right. Let's look at another depiction, another prophetic depiction of God's government. Isaiah 25. Uh, we, we touched on verse 1 a few minutes ago. Let's go to verses 6 through 9. The Lord of hosts will prepare a lavish banquet for all people on his mountain, a banquet of aged wine, choice pieces with marrow, and find aged wine. So you've got this sense of, wow, this is all really good stuff. You know, God is preparing something very good and very big. Let's continue. And on this mountain he will swallow up the covering which is over all peoples, even the veil which is stretched over all nations. So now, Jonathan, in, in, in Bible prophecy, when mountains are mentioned, what are they typically symbols of? Kingdoms. Right, kingdoms, governments. And so when God is talking about his mountain, that's got to be the best one, right? Oh, for sure. Okay, so it says, and on this mountain he will swallow up the covering, which is over all people. What's covering the people right now? Sin, death, and Satan. So it's saying that God is going to remove that covering from the mountain of his own government. And this is good news, because now you're going to be able to breathe fresh air in a way, uh, from, from a spiritual sense, that has never been able to happen before. What else does he say, or does Isaiah say will happen then? He will swallow up death for all time, and the Lord God will wipe tears away from all faces, and he will remove the reproach of his people from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. So... This is the result of removing, removing, removing the covering of sin and death from the world. And, and continue with verse 9. It'll be said in that day, Behold, this is our God from whom we have waited, that he might save us. This is the Lord for whom we have waited. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. So that is the context of all of the judgment that we've been talking about. It's a great context because the government that does the judging is the government that is sanctioned only 
by God himself. So that, you know, we've been talking about that word judgment throughout this whole context here. And again, we, we, we touched on it, I think, in the previous hour. But what does that particular word for judgment actually mean? It means decision by extension, a tribunal, by implication, justice. And if you look at Thayer's uh, dictionary of the Bible, it says a separating, sunder, sundering, a trial, or a contest. So it's a period of time under which the evidence has to be reviewed. And the evidence of each human human's life is going to be put in place, and that opportunity to to uh, to, to live a life of, of righteousness is going to be put before them. So, Rick, this judgment is not a slamming of the hammer or of punishment down. No, you're lost instantly in in one day. All judgment for everyone that ever lived is made. Right, right. It's it's not. You know, you, you have that the, the picture of the guy with the big stamp that says either accept, boom, or reject, boom. That's not it. The day of judgment is a day of reconciliation, of learning righteousness. Matthew twelve sixteen to 18. And charged them that they should not make him known, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Behold, my servant, whom I have chosen, my beloved, in whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him, and he shall show judgment to the Gentiles. So you have judgment to everybody, the Gentiles, and, and it's the ability to be reconciled. That is what judgment is. That is how judgment Judgment means. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, what will the world look like in the 22nd century? Coming up, does everyone make it through this day of judgment? And what does the new environment look like? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Our subject for today is, What Will the World Look Like in the 22nd Century? We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central. That means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-FOR-ALL. Or you can message us on your app. And if you have any questions on our subject, don't forget you can email us at rick at christianquestions.net. So, Jonathan, you know, the the last scripture that we read in in the last segment was Jesus talking about, um, he was quoting, he says he's quoting the prophet Isaiah, you know, Behold my servant in whom I am well pleased will bring judgment to the Gentiles. And you made a very distinct comment. You said this is not like a hammer-down judgment kind of a thing. And how do we know that? Well, one of the ways to know that is let's go back to the Isaiah scripture and let it define itself because this tells us the nature of the judgment, Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 4. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. That's the part that Jesus had quoted. Now let's read the rest. He will not cry out or raise his voice, nor make his voice heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not be disheartened or crushed under his established justice in the earth, and the coastlands will wait expectedly for his law. 
So you have this tender sense of a bruised reed he will not break, a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish until he brings forth justice. It's not a process of beating people down. The day of judgment is a day of reconciliation. It's a process of building people up. That's what Isaiah tells us. And if we would just take the time to read the context of all of these prophecies, it would help us to give a sense of relief that we don't have to worry about the Day of Judgment. And Rick, doesn't this describe Jesus' character perfectly? How he was meek, he was kind, he was gentle, he was loving. I mean, that's exactly what this is saying. Yeah, exactly. And and so there's there are no surprises in the day of judgment. Jesus doesn't suddenly grow fangs and start to growl. Okay? He is the same wonderfully uh uh positioned individual who who brings goodness and grace and mercy and love and justice to all of the world. Having said that, Jonathan, let's go to the number the, the tenth way that people think the world can be destroyed and that people worry about. And this this is one of those ways that definitely has the possibility of making you legitimately afraid. Number two, pandemic or biological warfare. It's a threat of biblical proportions. What do you mean, biblical? What he means is Old Testament, Mr. Mayor. Real wrath of God type stuff. Exactly. Fire and brimstone coming down from the skies. Rivers and seas boiling. Forty years of darkness, earthquakes, volcanoes. The dead rising from the grave. Pandemics like the plague and H1N1 spread through humans like wildfire. The 1918 flu outbreak killed 3 to 5% of the world's population. Today, we have the added bonus of drug-resistant bacteria. If nature doesn't kill us, we might do it ourselves. Biological warfare and weaponized viruses like anthrax or Ebola are real threats, too. Maybe you'll be one of the lucky few who's immune. Yeah, lucky few is immune, and then you get to live through it all. I mean, that's a, that's a very scary scenario, biological warfare. And it is a very real possibility. Whatever it is that is allowed to happen within the time of trouble that we talked about earlier will not be the end of mankind. And that's the one thing that we can be sure of. So as we see the process of judgment, we begin to realize how time-consuming and detailed it will be for each individual is going to have to be proven. Everybody is going to have to be proven, judged so they can be reconciled. They have the opportunity for reconciliation. Every single individual. And, Jonathan, there are billions that have to go through that process. So this is not... This is not the kind of thing where, where, again, a lot of Christians look at the Day of Judgment and they look at it as a 24-hour day where God is going to just stamp the judgment of condemnation upon the world and then light the fire. That's not what happens. And a time frame, a day of, to the Lord is a thousand years, and that's yes. what scriptures describe. Yeah, yeah. So, so we're looking at a very long uh, and well-organized period of judgment and reconciliation. Jeremiah... 31, 29 to 34, gives us a better sense of that. In those days, they shall say no more, the fathers have eaten the sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. But everyone shall die for his own iniquity. Every man that eateth the sour grapes, his teeth shall be set on edge. So really what that's saying is that the excuse that, well, I don't know where this came from, the, the, the kids program thing, you know, the devil made me do it. You know, that excuse isn't going to be able to exist anymore. It's my dad's fault and, right. he, and his dad's fault. Yeah. Uh, no more. 
no more of the, well, I inherited the genes of anger, so therefore I'm angry and it's okay because that's what I am. That's who I am. No more of that. No more whatever happened before. Well, I was born to a poor family, and so I don't have any chance. No more of any of that. So I had such violence in my life that I can't help it. Right. No, too bad. At this point, you are now standing on your own because all of those things are now removed, and now the true colors of your personal character are what judgment and reconciliation will be based on, and you get to choose. That, to me, is a thrilling thing. But let's go back to Isaiah 31. Behold, the days come, saith Jehovah, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. I will put my law in their inward parts, and in their heart will I write it. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So you have, again, the the, the idea of Israel being a unified center of influence in this new world in this world where judgment and reconciliation take place, and this new promise of, of God to work with them and through them for the benefit of the rest of the world. And, and let's continue. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, No, Jehovah, for they shall all know me from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith Jehovah, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin will I remember no more. So, again, what does the world look like in the 22nd century? All of these things that we've been talking about begin to fall into place, and we can see that there's this, this, this incredibly detailed process that has been under, underway for a very long time because God has planned it so to allow sin and death to, to reign, to give Christianity a time to develop, to allow Christianity to be uh, um, corrupted, to pull true Christians out from that corruption, to bring up, uh, 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 upon the world a time where Israel can begin to be regathered and delivered, a time where great trouble is going to come, and then resurrection, and then judgment and reconciliation. All of these things are going to be, are, some have happened, and this is what's going to happen. The world is not going to blow up. God's wrath is not going to burn the world. Biological warfare is not going to end all of mankind. There is a reason humanity has been placed on the earth. Despite Now, having said all of that, humanity has a wonderful chance at life in the future. Despite that wonderful chance at life in the future, everybody is not going to succeed. And this is, to me, I have a hard time figuring out how could somebody not want to be in that world. But the scriptures tell us that there will be some. Uh, Acts 3, 22 to 23. Moses said... O a prophet shall the Lord God raise up unto you from among your brethren like unto me. To him shall ye hearken in all things whatsoever he speaketh unto you. And it shall be that every soul that shall not hearken to that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. So there is a, an opportunity for failure just as there's an opportunity for success. And Rick, utterly destroyed, the opposite, uh, I mean, of life is non-existence. It's not torture and punishment. Right, right. to be utterly destroyed, that's, a, that's, a, that's an important point. To be utterly destroyed means that you don't exist anymore, okay? When you destroy something, you break it apart so it has no opportunity, no chance of being whole again. That's what utter destruction is. It, it's to be consumed into nothingness, essentially. And so, what, it, what, what the scripture is saying is that even with the opportunity of being resurrected from the dead, of being in that world where God's 
government reigns through Jesus. Where righteousness is the rule, everybody is not going to eventually want to comply with that. And, and the penalty for noncompliance after an ample time is actually destruction. It's not torture, just like you said, and that's important. It seems unbelievable that some would not progress, but that's the nature of free choice. And when you think about it, Jonathan, that's the beauty of what God has given us. Now, up to this point, when you look at the free choice that humanity has, our question would be, why would we, why would we, we be glad that God gave us this kind of free choice? Look what it's gotten us. And that's the point of free choice, is to see where it gets us without God, so that we can have that as an eternal comparison to see where it gets us with God. Isaiah 65, 17 to 25 reveals a little bit about that choice and the fact that everybody, again, does not uh, decide to go on with life. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered nor come into mind. All right, hang on one second there, because he says, I create a new heaven and a new earth. Now, remember in the last set of prophecies from Isaiah, he was talking about mountains? Yes, kingdoms, yes, governments. This is one of the reasons why prophecy is difficult, because sometimes it uses different words, different examples to show us the same kinds of things. A new heavens. Heavens are our spiritual governments as well. So in prophecy, he's saying two different things to show us the same end results, and that's why prophecy is veiled. That's why it takes uh, a lot of study and prayer and lots and lots of people working on it to figure something like this out. Go ahead. Be ye glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem a rejoicing, and her people a joy. And I will rejoice in Jerusalem and in joy in my people. And there shall be heard in her no more the voice of weeping and the voice of crying. There shall be no more thence an infant of days, nor an old man that hath not filled his days. For the child shall die a hundred years old, and the sinners being a hundred years old shall be accursed." So, Jonathan, this again, this is a little bit of a tough prophecy, but it's giving us a sense of the day of judgment. And in judgment, what's, what's the other word that uh, goes with judgment? It's, it begins with an A. <laughs> no, <laughs> reconciliation. <laughs> reconciliation. So, in this day of reconciliation, what the Isaiah prophecy, Isaiah 65, seems to be saying is that the sinner, being a hundred years old, shall be accursed. So it gives you a sense that there is a period of time in which someone has the ability to show progress, to show that they want righteousness. So, again, as we, as we paint the picture, any, there, there's certainly interpretation here, but as we paint the picture of, of this day of judgment and reconciliation, what we envision is people being resurrected, but their minds still have the same corrupted thoughts that were there before. They're going to have to wash those thoughts out of there by learning righteousness. They're going to be tested. It's not going to be lip service gets you the prize, but what you do with your life literally gets you life. And so it gives them, it says, it looks like there's at least 100 years that anybody gets to show that they're, they're, they're willing to, to work with it. That really shows a lot of mercy uh, from God's plan. And, and I love how Revelation 21 you know, confirms this new heavens and new earth idea. Uh, it's not just one time back in the Old Testament. It's confirmed of this is what God is working on and will, will do. Right, and remember, these are the plans that the Isaiah Scripture we read earlier that he laid with faithfulness. 
long ago he laid these plans out with faithfulness. So you've got this, this, this wrinkle that says, yeah, it's a time of seriousness that every individual is going to have to be tested. And this judgment and reconciliation now, they bring us to something else that's even greater. They bring us to a time of peace. And now, interestingly, the Isaiah 65 scripture in verse 21 now starts to describe the overriding, impenetrable peace that will be on the world under the government of God. Let's go through these. And they shall build houses and inhabit them, and they shall plant vineyards and eat the fruit of them. They shall not build and another inhabit, they shall not plant and another eat. For as the days of a tree shall be the days of my people, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain, nor bring forth for calamity, for they are the seed of the blessed of Jehovah and their offspring with them. And it shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox, and the dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, saith Jehovah. So, Jonathan, when you, when, when you read those verses, you get a real sense of calm, not of biological warfare, not of, of, of gray goo taking over the world, not of black holes sucking things up, but a sense of calm and a sense of, of peace that righteousness rules, and you can't shake it. You can't undo it. You can't undermine it. You can't take it over. There can't be a coup. None of that can happen because now you've got the government of God, and they shall not hurt or destroy in all of his holy mountain. That's the way this thing works. That's the way God's kingdom is meant to be. That's the beginning of the description peace. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, what will the world look like in the 22nd century? Coming up, so how broad of a peace will God's kingdom bring to the earth? And how is it organized? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Our subject for today is what will the world look like in the 22nd century? We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central. That means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. Or you can message us on your app. And if you'd like to write to us, you can write to us at Christian Questions, P.O. Box 1837, New London, Connecticut, 06320. So, Jonathan, as we get to our final segment, we, we've really delved into a lot of biblical prophecy, and it's, sometimes it can be confusing because we, we've put a lot of things in front of you. So, folks, we want to really, truly encourage you, if you don't already, please subscribe to Seeker Rewind, the full edition, because in that document, it's a free service. You can get it at ChristianQuestions.com, or you can get it through your app. 
Um, it gives you all of the scriptures, a lot of the commentary, a lot of the backup information, some extra bonus material on how we put all of these things together. And in dealing with such a prophetic subject, it's a great, great, great tool to have. And again, it is uh, a free service. So, Jonathan, um, let's begin our, our final segment. And, and I said last segment uh, inadvertently that, you know, that was the tenth way of the world could be destroyed. Remember, from that was actually the ninth way, you know, so... And that was biological warfare. Let's go to the, the big ragu on this one. Let's go to the, to the one that people really, really worry about, the number one way that people are afraid the world may be destroyed from WatchMojo.com. Number one, nuclear holocaust. We've always talked about the possibility of something going wrong with the bomb, the hydrogen bomb. The Cold War may be over, but nuclear annihilation is still a threat. For more information, see Iran or North Korea. At the touch of a button, humanity could be crushed. Not to mention the fallout, contaminated food, water, and air quality, and, worse yet, nuclear winter. Consider this. Nuclear war could easily be caused by a misunderstanding. But we've been in this boat for decades, so sleep easy. You maniac! You blew it up! Which potential future keeps you up at night? Nothing will survive nothing! Do you agree with our list, or do you think some new threat will end humanity? Jonathan, I say none of the above. And uh, I really, I really, I like the, the, the uh, clip from the Planet of the Apes. That was Charlton Heston, you know, when, when he sees the Statue of Liberty on the, on, you know, all falling apart. And you blew it up! And no, we didn't. You know, because God's plan is bigger than the foolishness of mankind. God's plan is bigger than the ego of mankind. God's plan is bigger than the greed of mankind. And God's plan is bigger than the, quote, intelligence, unquote, of mankind. It's bigger, it's stronger, it's more fundamental, and it's been in place, and it's working exactly like it's supposed to, and it's bringing us to a place of peace. So we can see how all of the elements that bring God's kingdom had to work together and in order. And remember, there's a lot of overlapping in these things. From the lengthy spiritual desolation that brings the process of the time of the end through the deep trouble and deliverance, which are comparatively short, to the resurrection and the judgment reconciliation stages, which are again lengthy, it all leads to the peaceable, eternal kingdom. That's the end of the story. So the end of the story is actually the beginning of eternity. Yay. Can't, can't wait. <laughs> and that's a very cool thing. And there are a load of scriptures that talk about this, Jonathan. We're going to touch on just a few of them in this segment. But there are many, many scriptures that give descriptions of this. So, folks, if you have a thought, now would be the time, 866-985-4255. Let's start, Jonathan, with Daniel uh, chapter 2, verse 44. And in those days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall this kingdom be left to another people. It shall crush all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. So that shows us a couple of things. That shows us the last phrase of that, that verse, it shall stand forever. That's the good news. Okay, and, and also the good news of the governments of this world, the injustices and the evils, that's over. Right, and it says that this kingdom will be set up in the context of those other kingdoms. So there's the overlap. There's where you have a seamless movement from the, the, the kingdoms of this world to the kingdom of God. 
it because it overlaps because you can't tell when it's really getting started but when it's ready to completely take over it's like it's it's covertly set all the pieces in place and nobody knows it and then when it's ready to strike the kingdoms of this world just come to an end so daniel tells us very clearly very very simply that this kingdom will be standing forever and it will crush the kingdoms of this world. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14. For the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So think about that one for just a second. It's a small, short statement. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. And what do they use? They say, do you fill it like you're going to fill a thimble? Nope, as the waters cover the sea. So that's a lot of knowledge over a lot of the world. So what it's telling you is that you don't have to worry. There will not be a corner of the world anywhere without the knowledge of the glory of God. And, folks, I don't know about you, but to me, just hearing that that, that last soundbite on nuclear holocaust, I tell you, I'll take Habakkuk's uh, prophecy any day. It gives us a sense of peace and tranquility. You don't have to worry about nuclear fallout for thousands of years. Rather, rather rejoice in the knowledge of God falling in for eternity. Well, Rick, we did a program uh, several weeks ago about how it looks in our environment that Christianity is diminishing and disappearing. Um, and here we see the victory that it'll be everywhere and it'll be completely covering the world. Yeah, and, and the role of true Christians is to work with Jesus in that government. So the role of Christianity now is not to take the governments of this world and make them the government of God, because it already said in Daniel, those governments are going to be crushed. But the role of Christianity today is to be faithful so that the government of God, we can assist with implementing that brand new government and forget the old. Take away the old, bring in the new. Psalm twenty-two, twenty-seven. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn unto the Lord, and all the kindreds of the nation shall worship before thee. That doesn't leave room for anybody to be left out, right? The word all is in there, Rick, and that, that takes care of it. It, it. So, folks, realize that the Bible is full of prophecies that show us the peaceable kingdom reigning on earth, not in heaven. Peaceable kingdom is going to be there. It already is, but on earth, on this planet here forever. So, now, let, let's begin to wrap this up. What does the organization of this great kingdom look like? Let's look at Micah chapter 4, verses 1 to 4, and you know the drill, Jonathan. I'm going to just keep interrupting you till you get tired of me. I will never get tired. All right. Uh, oh, yeah? <laughs> and it will come about in the last days that the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains, and it will be raised above the hills, and the peoples will stream to it. Okay. So, again, it's going back to the symbolism of mountains. Governments. So the mountain of the Lord is going to be above all the rest. It's, Christ's it's, kingdom. Right. There it is. It's the biggest one. It surpasses all governments. It surpasses everything else. Okay, go ahead. Many nations will come and say, Come, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us about his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For from Zion will go forth the law, even the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Okay, so it gives you a sense that the government of God 
rules everything, and that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. And then it tells you that from Zion, the law will go forth. Now, Zion can be spiritual Israel as well as fish, uh, fleshly Israel. So we see spiritual Israel being uh, a part of this. But also, the word of the Lord comes from where? Jerusalem, the capital in Jerusalem. So you get a sense that the Jerusalem is the centerpiece of where the kingdom of God will be operating from. This is why Israel was returned to their homeland. This is why that area of real estate in this world is so important. This is why we will never see Israel extricated from that land ever again, no matter what people say, no matter what people do, because it's in the promises. We've already seen miracles of God protecting them. Okay, uh, verse 3. And he will judge between many peoples and render decisions for mighty, distant nations. So there is a righteous rule. That's what that's saying. Let's continue. Then they will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation, and never again will they train for war. So all of the experiments of man's ego, man's greed, man's power are going to be all over, and God will say, no more of that. No more weaponry is needed or necessary. Now peace will reign. Each of them will sit under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one will make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. There is a real great sense of of peace and tranquility there. Each man will sit under his own vine and fig tree. What that tells us is that that everybody's going to have some responsibility. Mm -hmm. And it tells us everybody's going to have some space. Okay, under his own vine and fig tree. But it also tells us, I think in a prophetic sense, that each man is going to live under the rule of God's government on earth because, remember Jesus in the garden, or not, before he went to the Garden of Gethsemane when he was teaching the apostles the night before his crucifixion, and he gave them the parable, I am the vine and you are the branches. Mm-hmm. So he's talking about he and his true followers being the vine. It says every man will sit under his own vine. In Scripture, the fig tree, what does the fig tree represent? Israel, the nation of Israel. The physical nation of Israel. So also, I think the Scripture is telling us that every man will sit comfortably under the governing power of the true Christian uh, individuals who follow Christ even unto death in a life of sacrifice, as well as the governing given through Israel. So they're sitting in comfort, in peace, and yet in responsibility. The other part of this, Jonathan, as we wrap this program up, is the earth becomes bountiful as the curse of sin is lifted off of it once for all and forever. Isaiah chapter 35, we're going to take parts of, uh, of verses 1 to 10. The wilderness and the desert will be glad, and Arabia will rejoice and blossom like the crocus, and it will blossom profu- profusely and rejoice and rejoicing with shouts of joy. Okay, and, you know, the people will become bountiful as well, but this is telling us that the deserts will blossom. So people say, well, where are you going to put all those people? Look at how much of the world is not inhabitable now, and watch what God's kingdom brings to the rest of the world, because his prophecies tell us he will. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute will shout for joy. They will be given a direct path to righteousness. The... the Healing will be in place, and the mars of sin and sickness and death are all going to be gone, and now there is going to be a pathway for everybody. 
a highway will be there, a roadway, and it will be called the Highway of Holiness. The unclean will not travel on it, but it will be for him who walks that way, and fools will not wander on it. No lion will be there, nor any vicious beast go up on it. These will not be found there. But the redeemed will walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord will return, and come with joyful shouting to Zion, with everlasting joy upon their heads. They will find gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. So there, there was a mouthful there. Um, there was a mouthful. It, it, it talked about a pathway to righteousness. A highway shall be there. So it gives you a sense that there, there's, there is a definite uh, good... Uh, um, an organization that, that puts things in place so the average person can make it. And that's the beauty of it. You don't have to be something extra special. You have to be a regular human being who has been, was born in sin and shaped in iniquity and then brought back to experience judgment and reconciliation and then experience the joys of the world the way it was supposed to be. So, Jonathan, that's what the world is going to begin to look like in 100 years. That's what it looks like because that's what the Bible says it looks like. This is something we can all take great comfort in in this really difficult time. Last verse, Jonathan, let's reread what Jesus told us in that prayer. Pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now when you read that verse, now when you read that verse, think about the prophecies we talked about, think about the process we talked about, Think about the plan that we talked about because it's all written in Scripture. And it brings us to an end of joy and peace and tranquility and God's way, not man's way. Jesus told us to pray for God's kingdom to come on earth because it's coming. He told us to be aware of it, to want it, to look forward to it because it's not a promise that's not going to be kept. God keeps. His word. For Jonathan and Rick and Christian Questions, we'll be back again next week with another subject. But till then, the world will be glorious in a hundred years. Next week, think about it.